ever wrestle with the idea that God isn't listening to you? That God has turned his back on you and your situations? Do you ever feel disheartened and overwhelmed by what is happening around you? Well, the Bible is full of examples of people struggling with the push and pull of trusting God while living in a fallen world. It's full of psalms that talk about being overwhelmed by what's going on around you, wrestling with God's responsiveness to you, and pleading with God to answer you, then arriving in a place of trust in God's unfailing promises through all situations. Psalm 13, titled A Plea for Deliverance, is a psalm of David. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemies dominate me? Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord, because he has treated me generously. Christian Standard Bible Translation. Welcome back to From Hevel to Eternity, my Bible study podcast. I'm Brian, and today we're deviating from our walk through the book of Matthew to contemplate Psalm 13. Because the book of Matthew is long, I want to take one podcast every four-ish episodes to cover something else. Psalms 13 is pretty short. It's just six verses, and so this episode will probably be pretty short too. Well, maybe. About a third of the book of Psalms involves some version of lament by its author. Maybe that's news to you, or maybe you've heard that before, but what does that mean? Before we dive into the psalm itself, I want to dialogue about two things. What is lament, and why does the Bible include so many psalms of lament? I'll answer the first now and the second at the end of the episode. What is lament? Well, technically speaking, the Oxford Dictionary defines lament as a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. I would say that lament is an emotional response to any situation that involves the questions why and what. Usually something along the lines of why is this happening and what can be done about it. Technically, those questions are wrestled with by everybody, religious or not. Theologically, these two questions will end up sounding something like, God, why is this happening? What am I to do about this? What are you going to do about this? Why haven't you done anything about this already? And why did you let this happen in the first place? If you really think about those questions, then lament is weird because it's an emotional demand to God, asking for an intellectual answer to explain not just our situations, but also the emotions that we feel behind the curtain. The difference between irreligious lament and Christian lament is how we phrase that last part. God, why is this happening and why am I wrestling with this? Even though I know that you are in control. And this, I think, leads directly to the second major question about lament psalms. Why are they there? But let's get into Psalm 13 first.
So Psalm 13 is actually part of a group of lament psalms. So if you want to look at this psalm in its full context within the Psalter, then I turn to Thomas Schreiner when he notes, The wicked strut along proudly in Psalm 12. So David wonders how long he must wait for the Lord's salvation in Psalm 13. The fool refuses to acknowledge that God is everywhere on earth in Psalm 14. And thus David longs for the day when the Lord will save his people. It's a very personal psalm. Lots of personal my and I pronouns. John MacArthur says David will shift radically from turmoil to tranquility in the space of six short verses. The Nelson Compact Bible Commentary notes that the Lord, all, the Lord allows David to pour out his anxiety before him. But by the end of David's prayer, the Lord has granted him a correct perspective on his situation. David's only option is to trust in the sovereign mercy of his loving God. I'll break the psalm into three stanzas. Verses 1 and 2, which are lament over current circumstances. Verses 3 and 4, which are a plea for deliverance. Without the Lord, David's worldly situation would overtake his spiritual state. And then verses 5 and 6, where we rest in the promise that God will come through on that deliverance and that he has already rescued those who trust in him. Verses 1 and 2 are, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Verses 1 and 2 consist of these four different how longs being screamed out toward God. The first part of verse 2 is a little varied across the translations. Verse, or translations like the ESV and the NASB and the King James Version all say something along the lines of, How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? The CSB says, How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? The NLT says, How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul and sorrow in my heart every day? And the NIV says, How long must I wrestle with my thoughts, and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Rodmacher defines this lament as an impassioned cry to the Lord for help. But notice, it's not mere physical help and anguish. These translations really focus on the push and the pull inside of David. Then you get to verses 3 and 4. Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. Who is David fighting in this psalm? David mentions his enemies, but his struggle here isn't with them. It's with himself. David isn't asking that God defeat his enemies, but that God delivers David from his anxieties in a disheartened state. He is asking for God to step into his soul and give him peace, contentment, and rest. So his fight is against his own headspace, his tendency to be overwhelmed by the world around him. His plea to God for deliverance isn't a plea for deliverance from the physical evil around him, but for deliverance out of his spiritual struggles. And this, this leads to verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. 
I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. Translations use a few different words for verse 5. You see steadfast love, faithful love, loving kindness, unfailing love. The Hebrew word for love mentioned here is a faithful and forever love. It's the same word used for love in Hosea 2.19, when God is speaking of taking his people as his bride. He says in Hosea 2.19, I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. This love is not fleeting. It's not a forgetful love, and it's not a love that would ever turn its back. No. As you read in all of Hosea, God's love is an unrelenting love, a sacrificial love that actively goes after his people. We see this love on the cross at the crucifixion of Jesus. That cross should be in our minds when we read the rest of verse 5 and see words like salvation, deliverance, or rescued, depending on your translation. Then in verse 6, we also get phrases like, He has treated me generously. He has dealt bountifully with me, or he has been good to me. The psalmist can sing in worship to God because he is recalling the bountiful grace and mercy that has already been extended to him by God. Notice that the psalm doesn't give any indication that something changed about David's external situation. The only thing that has transformed during these six verses was inside David, his heart and his headspace. Alec Motyer says, trust brings delight even when nothing else has actually changed. So, circling back round to the question, why does the Bible include so many psalms of lament? They are amazing examples of how to pray through our own real-world emotions in a biblically-centered way. We should bring all of our emotions, our questions, and our discontents before God. But these lament psalms show that the goal of our lament should be to come back to a place of trust. And trust is based on remembrance. As a Christian, you can trust that God will deliver us through worldly situations because you can remember that God has already delivered you from the world. By repenting, Turning toward and trusting in Jesus for salvation, you have been rescued from this world. We still live in this broken, fallen world right now. But by looking back on what Jesus has done for us already, we can look forward to the promise of what is yet to come. Revelation 21 says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. We can trust that while we might be filled with grief and sorrow and emotional turmoil about the situation surrounding us right now, there will be a time when we will have none of that. There will be a time when we will no longer lament the why and the what, but only worship the who behind it all. Our eyes will see the glory of the Lord shine before us like a lamp, and the nations will walk in the light of the Lamb. If you're struggling with control, or can't see God's sovereignty over a situation, or are wrestling with what and the why of your circumstances, 
know that you are not the only one. The biggest names in the Bible are pulled in these same directions. Coming to God with these things is not an indictment on your faith. And laying them at his feet is not a sign of weakness. It shows that you believe God is big enough to shoulder your burdens. But remember, the examples God has chosen to give us. Lament should lead us closer to trust through a remembrance of who God is and what he has already done. People often ask me, what are good passages in the Bible about anxiety and trust? Well, there are some amazing ones specifically about that. The end of Matthew 6, Philippians chapter 4 all come to mind. But when I look out at everything happening in culture around me, the situations within me, and when I'm wrestling against wanting control and wanting answers and wanting action from God, I read a lament psalm, a psalm like Psalm 73 or Psalm 13. And then there are two pages in the Bible that I have started reading. I'll make them simple to remember. They are the first page and the last page. The first page, Genesis 1, is the creation story. It starts with God creating structure and form out of darkness and chaos. It ends with God breathing life into man which he creates in his own image. The last page, which in my Bible is Revelation 21 and 22, is the new creation story. It starts with God bringing the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem down. It tells of the Christian's ultimate place of rest in the presence of God, no longer having to deal with the struggles of this current broken world. It ends with Jesus' promise that he is coming soon to personally bring about that new creation. If I can read the first page and believe that God is who he says he is, with control over chaos and creation, then I can find peace believing God is who he says he is on the last page also, with control over rest and recreation. I'll land the plane back in Psalm 13. The psalm ends with David recalling the steadfast love of a God who is resolute and unchanging in his love for David. Alec Matyer says, in light of that love, thoughts of forgetfulness and the hidden face evaporate. The only response is to reply to every questioning thought or experience, I trust him. And to make that reply as each day starts, and if necessary, moment by moment throughout the day. Thank you for listening. If you're curious on the resources I referenced, Alec Matyer has a book called Psalms by the Day, a new devotional translation that I recommend. Thomas Schreiner has a book called The King and His Beauty that I love. The John MacArthur Commentary Bible NIV Translation and the Nelson Compact Commentary Bible were also used. Next episode, we'll jump back into the Book of Matthew. If you're not already doing so, please follow us on the From Heaven to Eternity Facebook group to keep up to date on all my latest podcasts, videos, and blog posts. Unless otherwise noted, all Bible verses were from the Christian Standard Bible Translation, a copyright of Holman Bible Publishers. Until next time, I love y'all.